Good morning, Maple Grove. I was on pause, so I needed to be unpaused for a second. Hey, uh, good to see you guys this morning. Another good day to be alive, right? Uh, Being God's house with God's people, worshiping the the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, right? First and the last, beginning and the end. I mean, right now in heaven, um, there's like a hundred million angels right now surrounding the throne of heaven. And 24 elders are bowing down, just saying how awesome and incredible and worthy is the God that we get to worship. And 2,000 years ago, God, God breathed and, and, and Paul wrote these words to the Jesus followers who lived in the coastal city of Corinth. He said this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And when Paul used this metaphor of a race, it was something that the Corinthians could really relate to. You see, on the coast of the city, every two years, the Ismian Games were held. And these games were very popular, second only to the Olympics. And so as the Corinthians heard this term, immediately pictures of exciting races and cheering crowds and training athletes flashed through their minds. And so Paul is using this imagery to get the Christians in Corinth and to get Christians throughout the centuries, for that matter, to to think about the elements of a physical race so so that he could teach them about the much more important race. Spiritual race, the race of the Christian life, the, uh, the race of being faithful to Jesus even to death, the race that which Paul himself was an avid runner, and though his track had many twists and turns and uphill climbs. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. God, we thank you that you're a God who can move mountains And God, I I know sometimes they don't move, a lot of times they don't move when we want them to move, but God, you are faithful uh, to provide for us, to protect us, to watch over us. And and God, I I pray today, Lord, that each of us would lean into your word, to your truth, that we would honor you, show you the respect that you deserve as you sit on your throne. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're we're in in week four of... uh, Used to be six-week series, it's now seven weeks, right? Uh, where, where we're pretty much unpacking verse by verse, phrase by phrase, the first three verses found in Hebrews chapter 12. 69 words in the original Greek, actually counted them this week. Uh, 69 words that were literally breathed by God to tell us, to, to teach us, to inform us, to, to lay out for us how we can run the race well. Whereas Paul puts it, how we can run the race to win. Question, would anyone here like to win the race of the Christian life? Anybody? And receive the crown that lasts forever. I do. I mean, count me in. Uh, like, like I am getting more serious about running this race and running it to win than ever before. And I got to tell you, those last few words of Paul provide a lot of motivation it's kind of scary what he says. I beat my body and make it my slave 
so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Uh, that Greek word means not standing the test, rejected, unfit, disapproved. That I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That, that, that'd be a major bummer to Paul, right? I wrote all these books, started all these churches, and then I'm disqualified for the prize. Rejected, disapproved, un, unfit. It just makes me think of the 1988 Olympics in, in Seoul, Korea. A, a guy named Ben Johnson um, was running a race against Carl Lewis, and, and, and he won. He, 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 that's him right there. I mean, he, he's winning. Carl Lewis is trying. This guy's feeling pretty happy about it, right? He won the gold medal. And here's a newspaper uh, headline not long after that. He, he, he doesn't, doesn't look as happy, right? He got caught using steroids. Here's the deal. Like, if Paul was concerned about being disqualified for the prize, I know I need to be a little bit concerned, right? I, I know that, that I need to care. You know, in our faith comes from hearing, we're reading through Revelation right now, and I have some handouts that can help you not get wigged out by it. Um, but the message of Revelation to the church is pretty much, hey, you guys are not running the race so good, you ought to repent, right? And funny, I was at the church earlier, and I was driving home listening to Classic Rock 97.5, and, and as this I pulled in the garage, the guy goes, hey, don't you have anything better to do than listening to 97.5 on a Sunday morning? Maybe you should just repent. And I'm like, what? You're like, that on 97.5. On Sunday, we should repent. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know, you guys are about to dis be disqualified. And I want that prize, right? You know, the prize that we see in Revelation that I get to eat from the, uh, the, the tree of life. He's going to give me some of that fruit. I get some heavenly manna, right? I get a new name. He tells us that. He says that I won't erase your name for the book of life. And that when, I, when you get to heaven, I'll let you sit on my throne with me, right? So... I, I, I want that prize, and, and, and we have to learn how to run to win. And what we learned so far in the series from these alive and active words in, in Hebrews chapter 12, wouldn't, wouldn't it be terrible to get to the end of our life and found out we ran the wrong race? Right? You know, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not run the race that I've marked out for you? And so, it's, guys, it's just so important, right? If, if what we believe is true, this is, this is so important. And I'm, I'm really being convicted by it personally because I want to run to win. I don't want to just run, right? I want to run to win. In order to do that, one thing we have to do, we have to remember the witnesses, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I mean, it's true, right? Literally, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, heroes of faith, countless men and women who have run the race before us, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Ruth, Esther, Elijah, Jeremiah, Peter, Paul, Mary, Luke, and so many others. And not just the faithful we see in Scripture, right? But we've had the opportunity, right, to watch some faithful people run their race, right, with their own eyes. Uh, maybe a mom, a dad. A brother, a sister, a spouse, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a friend. And, and understand, and, and that they're, in that, they're in that cloud too. 
And like the rest of these witnesses, they are speaking to us, encouraging us, reminding us, challenging us. I know it's hard. I know you're tired. I, 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 know, I know that so many things have not worked out the way you wanted. I, I know it's taken so much longer than you had hoped for. I know that things are so uncertain. I know that you don't think that you can go on, but don't quit. Don't give up. Don't tap out. Don't throw in the towel. Don't stop running. Listen, you're doing better and getting closer than you think you are. We did it, and so can you. You can do it. You can. God is with you. God is for you. So keep running. Keep going. And believe me, when I tell you, once you get here, you will know that it is more than worth it. Quote question, who are some of your favorite heroes in Scripture? And, and, and what do you think they would want to speak into your life at this very moment? And, and who are some of the heroes of faith that you got to watch run, your, run the race with your own eyes? What, what do you think they would like to speak into your life at this very moment? In order to run the race to win, you must remember the witnesses and you must throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And, and, and what is the sin that so easily entangles? It is the sin of unbelief and this truth in all my years being a Christian I had never seen it until this series and it's so huge and so powerful and it answers so many questions about why I've been unable to throw off all of the weights that have been hindering me you see it's hard for me to to throw off the, the weight of worry and anxiety Right? If I don't believe that the star-breathing, ocean-holding God cares about me and has my back. It's hard for me to throw off the weight of religion, of trying to measure up and earn my salvation before God. If I don't really believe that God's mercies are new every morning, that his grace is enough, and that forgiveness is found in Christ alone. It's hard for me to throw off my, my, my need for the approval of other people. If I don't really believe that God's acceptance and approval for me is real, and that his approval of me means more than the approval I could get from anyone else anywhere. And it's hard for me to throw off my sin struggles. I have some. Maybe you do too. If I don't believe that Jesus is better than any sin I could ever experience, that my sin still matters and that in Christ, sin is no longer my master. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So to run the race to win, have to remember the witnesses, you have to throw off every weight that hinders and you have to, you have to run. You see, your option to run or not to run, end it the very moment you gave your life to Jesus. See, running the race, right, this is not how you run the race in the Christian life. Though this is pretty comfortable. Even got a Mountain Dew here, right? You know, I mean, you got your Mountain Dew in your lawn chair, right? I mean, what more do you need, right? But that's not, that's not how we run the Christian life. And, and, and I, I don't know. Right? I'll trust the Holy Spirit to get in your face if he needs to. Maybe it's time for some people in this room to get off your lawn chairs 
and start running. Hey, if the chair fits, all right? If the chair fits. To run the race, you must remember the witnesses throw up everything that hinders, and you must run with perseverance. This word perseverance comes from a Greek word, compound word, hupumeno, which means remaining under. I, I love that expression. It's just this picture. Maybe you feel that way in life, right? All this stuff is just piled up on you. All this junk, all this pressure, all this, all this thing is just weighing down on you, but yet you what? Uh, you remain under, right? You remain under all that pressure. And, and how do we develop the kind of perseverance we need to run the race? First, by trusting. You see, when, when you trust God in the face of difficulties and hardships, got any? When, when, when you lean into him and in faith consider them pure joy, trusting him for the outcomes, you will develop the perseverance that you need to run the race and to remain under no matter what this world decides to press down on you. Get it? Good. And the second way is by training. Okay, we're reviewing right now. Lean in. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Uh, I, I went on a search this week to get an illustration of, of what an athlete does in order to, to win a prize, right, that doesn't last. And, and, and I found a guy who is probably... You know, the, one of the world's, if not the world's, greatest athlete of all time. Uh, this guy won 28 medals in the Olympics. 23 of those medals were gold. And besides swimming about eight miles every day, here's just a little clip of some of the training this guy went through to win a prize that doesn't even last. What if we attacked our spiritual training with that same kind of intensity? I understand when, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you automatically became a contestant in a race. And you must go into strict training. So how much time are you spending sweating and straining studying the Word of God? How often do you work out at your home? And are you taking advantage weekly of the training sessions in our, our gym? Are you spending any time with one-on-one -on -one instruction from your coach through the beautiful privilege of prayer? Are you on a strict diet, high in Christ and low in the things of the world? Are you consistent in your workouts, or does inconsistency seem to mark your training regimen? And like, like an Olympic athlete, are you pouring all of your heart and soul into the race? Like it's the most important thing to you. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Amen. On a race, you must remember the witnesses, throw off everything that hinders, run with perseverance, and you must run the race marked out for you. You see, we don't have to guess what race we're to run, 
because God in his word has marked out the race for us, and it's his race, and we, we, need, to, we need to run it his way. And again, it would be terrifying, right? You think you're doing good running this race and find out, oh my goodness, you're running the wrong race. You mean I, I sweated and strained, and I actually was on the wrong track the, the entire time? And, and so here's the race God has marked out for us, for me and for you. And as we go through these, you know, there's a question at the end of our, and, and your notes, but like, you know, grade yourself, right? How you're doing, you know, one to five. Five, you're crushing it. One, like, you're in the, in the lawn chair, right? Drinking Mountain Dew, okay? The race marked out for us is about loving God and loving others, right? Right, we've heard this before, okay? How, how are you doing at loving God and how do you know how you're doing at loving God? Last week I said that God has a love language. Anybody remember what that love, God's love language is? It is what? Starts with an O. Obedience, right? That's his love language. And we all have them, right? Five love languages, right? And husbands, you need to get this one right because sometimes you, 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 we get it wrong and we, we think, you know what? You know, serving my wife, washing the car is how I show my wife that I love her. And maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't, right? You're like, I, I washed the car, I waxed that sucker, I spent four hours washing her car. She knows maybe what she wants is a car for you to spend time with her, right? So get it right, right? And we need to get the love language right with God as well. Jesus said, if you love me, what does he say? Obey my commands. Obey is not a bad word, right? First John 5, 3, loving God Oh, I love, it means doing this in worship. I like to worship. Is that what it means? I could. Loving God means obeying his commands, right? And, and therefore, every time I willingly break God's command, you know what I'm saying to him? I don't love you. I don't love you, God. I love this thought. I love this attitude. I love this sin. I love this more than you. I do not love you, God. And how about loving other people and and, and Last week I said you could, we could take a, a template of, of 1 Corinthians 13, right? And, and, and here's, here's how it describes love is, like, think about the people in your life. And not just the easy to love. Raise your hand if you have a hard to love person in your life and they're sitting next to you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Or they're standing on the platform. Um, uh, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way, it is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. You know, think about all the people in your life. And, and, and a lot of us, right, this Thursday we have an opportunity, right? Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> you know, you may be around the table with some people that will challenge you in patience, right? They challenge you um, with their irritability, Right? And so you have an opportunity on Thursday, right, to grow in your love, right? And, and, and loving the people around that table that you're sharing a turkey leg with. And they got the last one, and you wanted it, and all the dark meat is gone. What do you do? Go down Popeye's and get some fried chicken. No. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, and I, I want to say, there's something in your handout, and, and this has nothing to do with the message necessarily. Um, it's called Three-A-Days. And to help get your attitude right leading up to Thanksgiving. See, here's my biggest problem in being thankful, a thankful person. God's too good to me. He's just so good to me that I just, 
I overlook and take for granted so much that he does for me. You know, and, and, and I think a thankful person is a happy person. Have you, ever, have you ever met a person who was thankful and wasn't happy? And, and so these three a days, I just, just want to challenge you, you know, starting today, right? Just put three things you're thankful for every day leading up to Thanksgiving. Just get your attitude right, you know? Are, are you thankful for, like, I, I woke in the middle of the night last night, and I go, man, I, you know, I was thinking this. I, go, I, I mean, I'm thankful that I'm like in a warm bed, you know? And beside me is a woman that I love. And a couple rooms down are, are two kids that I love and that love me. You know, and, and, and I got a white German shepherd. It's pretty cool too, you know. <laughs> and became a dog person all of a sudden at, at my age. You know, but just write down the things that you're thankful for. The race marked out for us also is, is, is about leaving the things of the world. I'll just read this scripture. It speaks for itself. Do not love the world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Okay, no figurative language there. That's pretty easy to understand. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. We got to leave that. A craving for everything we see. Bigger house, better house, faster car, nicer car, more clothes, more expenses. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The next race marked out for us is a race. It's about being like Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, there, 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 are, there are a lot of ways that, that you could express what it means to, to be like Jesus. But for about four and a half years, the way we've expressed it around here is like Jesus, we seek the lost, we make disciples, and we show compassion. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to, to save the lost. You see, seeking lost people was and is both the Father and Son's driving passion. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Do you believe that last part is true? Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Francis Chan writes in his book, Erasing Hell, The saddest day of my life was the day I watched my grandmother die. When the EKG monitor flatlined, I freaked out. I absolutely lost it. According to what I knew of the Bible, she was headed for a life of never-ending suffering. I thought I would go crazy. I've never cried harder, and I don't want to feel that way again. Since that day, I've tried not to think about it. It's been 20 years. Even as I write that paragraph, I feel sick. I would love to erase hell from the pages of Scripture. How about you? Do you ever struggle with hell as I have? Do you have parents, siblings, cousins, or friends who, based on what you've been taught, will end up in hell? What a bone-chilling thought, he continues. Until recently, whenever the idea of hell and the idea of my loved ones possibly heading there crossed my mind, I would brush it aside and divert my thinking to something more pleasant. While I believed in hell with my mind, I tried not to let the doctrine penetrate my heart. 
But I reached a point where I could no longer do this. I could no longer acknowledge hell with my lips while preventing my heart from feeling its weight. Too much is at stake. Too many people are at stake. And question, do you have parents, siblings, cousins, or friends who, based on what you've been taught, will end up in hell? Maybe you'll sit around the table with them in just a few days. In John chapter 4, Jesus said to his guys, don't, don't you have a saying, it's still four months from the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And here's the deal about a harvest. Here's the thing about a harvest. When it's ripe, you either harvest it or you lose it, right? You either harvest it or you, or you lose it. And, and let there be no doubt in any of our minds that to run the race to win, we have to care and have to be about seeking the lost. Amen? I mean, it's got to be part of a race. Like, who, who's going to be in heaven because of you? Right? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Now, now, Paul was really passionate about this. Here's what Paul said, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. They're saying, hey, dude, don't go there. They're going to try to kill you. And Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Okay? And we have something on the wall out there, something we... We're trying, we want to take root as a, as a people is pray for one, right? I mean, start the day, throughout the day, Lord, show me one person that I can share your love with today. You know, maybe they're in my neighborhood, maybe it's where I work, maybe this could be someone in the checkout line, but God, open my eyes and help me see that one person just today, Lord, that I can share your love with. Okay, next being like Jesus means making disciples, and this basically means not only are you growing, maturing in your faith, but you're helping other people grow, mature in their faith. And I, so who's going to be more mature in their faith because of you, right? Are, are you making disciples? And being like Jesus means showing compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassing helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is basically loving people where they are, coming, coming alongside of them in their time of need and doing what you can to help. Question, who's going to experience the hands, the touch, and the love of Jesus because of your compassion? Next, the race marked out for us is about living the life you were created to live. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. Understand, there really is a life that God created you to live. I mean, like the very moment that the creator of the universe breathed life into you and began knitting you in your mother's womb, he had thoughts and plans and desires and dreams and purposes and intentions for your life. David said in, in Psalm 19 that, that creation displayed that, that creation displays and declares the glory of God. And that's true, right? However, each part of creation displays God's glory in its own unique way, right? Sun rises, sunset, ocean waves, sandy beaches, 
rushing streams, roaring waterfalls, starlit skies, mountain peaks, falling snow, autumn leaves, flowery meadows. They all display God's glory, but they all display it in their own unique way. And it's the same for us. We're all different. We're all unique. I, I, I found a website. I don't know if it's accurate. I don't know if they got the count. You know, it's called the Population Reference Bureau. And they estimate that, that throughout human history, 107 billion people have walked the face of the earth. So that means that you're like, you're one and 107 billion, right? Yeah. You're pretty unique. Paul says that you're God's masterpiece. That word translated masterpiece is poema, where we get our English word poem. You are God's poem. You are a unique piece of art in the gallery of this world. Does anybody know what this building is right here? The Louvre, right? It's the largest museum square footage-wise. It's a home of 38,000 pieces of art, and over 7 million people visit every year. Now, now, do you think 7 million people would visit the Louvre if every one of those 38,000 pieces were the exact same? Don't think so, right? And, and, and what I'm trying to, point I'm, I'm trying to drive home to you, to me, to everybody in this room, is that you must run your race, you must live your life. God did not create you to live somebody else's life, to run somebody else's race, you see, here's the deal. When you get to the end of your life, God is not going to ask you why you were more, why weren't you more like so-and-so? He's not going to ask you that. But he may ask you, how come you weren't more you? And when you try to run somebody else's race, not only is it tiring and frustrating and won't work, you will miss out on the unique life that God wants you to live. And the world will miss out on the glory that God wants to display through your unique life. So stop comparing your life to other people. Besides, most of the time, you're only seeing the stuff that people want you to see, right? They're highlight reels, right? The posts they want you to read. Please guard your heart and be careful whenever you are on social media. Because comparison is the enemy, is the kryptonite, the living the life you're created to live. It'll kill it. Happened to King Saul, Israel's first king, running a really good race, doing okay. And then after David defeats Goliath and Israel joins in, they're coming back home. They got some new songs on the radio playing. And there's a song playing where the women are dancing and singing this song, Saul has killed his thousands. And David is ten thousands. Hey, thousands, that's pretty good. And Saul compared himself to David. He stopped running his race. And two verses later, he's tossing spears at the dude, trying to pin him to a wall. Live the life you were created to live. And the good news is you can, right? For God's masterpiece, he created us in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I can't do the good things he planned for you to do, right? That's not going to work. But, but I can do the good things he planned for me to do, right? Yeah, you, we, we can do those things. You, you see, on our power, no, on his power. Second Peter 1.3, killer, killer verse 
And like it's true, it's in the Bible. By his divine power, God is giving us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and grace. By his divine power, God is giving us everything we need. You see, the more you know him, the more you will tap into his power to become more you. The more you know him, the more you'll tap into his divine power to become more the you that God created you to be, right? And that's who you want to be. That, that's what drives me as a person. That's what drives me as a pastor, right? You know, I, I don't want to leave this earth without living the life God created me to leave. And I don't want you to leave this earth without living the life that God created you to live. Get it? Good. And the last thing about the race marked out for us, it's about running together. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Did you notice the plural words there? We are let us for us. You see, even though you and I are to, to each run our own unique race, right? God does not want us to run it alone. Instead, you are to run together. You see, it, it is a we are, let us, for us kind of race. Get it? Good. I, I mean, when you look at the heroes in Scripture, Do you see them running alone? Did Noah run alone? Did Abraham? Did Esther? Did Ruth? Did David? Did Daniel? Did Nehemiah? Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? Did the disciples? Did Paul? Did, did they run alone? No. Crazy thing about Paul is, you know, Paul lists, I, I could have miscounted, but he lists at least 118 different names in his letters of people that he ran with. You know, people, because Paul said, well, I, I'm not going to run alone. I got my race to run, but I'm not going to run that sucker alone. Matter of fact, whenever, whenever they tried to run the race alone, it didn't go good. When Samson tried to run his race alone, right, his lust led him to lose his strength and power and be deceived by Delilah. When David decided to run his race alone for a time, he winds up committing adultery and murder. When Moses was running his race alone, he winds up killing an Egyptian in the desert. Running alone does not work. Because the race marked out for us is a race of running together. That's what church is. Now there's a two-word phrase that occurs all over the New Testament that speaks to the truth that we're to run together. It's the two words, one another. And accepting and living out those two words will help you run the race to win. Here's a sampling of those two words telling us how we're to run together. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. You see, our third core value is we do life together, you know, and, and uh, we are rebooting our life groups in a, 
That's the best way to fix your phone, by the way. <laughs> it ain't working right, turn the sucker off, turn it back on, and magically it's working again, right? You know, we're rebooting our life groups because some are going good, but a lot weren't going so good, you know, and we got a team getting together to make them better. Sign-ups are coming in December, right? More information coming, right? We do not want anyone to run the race alone. It's not how God intended it to be run. Get it? Good. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight that hinders and the sin of unbelief that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Brothers and sisters, to run the race to win, to one day hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, to receive the prize or crown of life that will never fade away, you must remember, throw off, and run with perseverance the race marked out for you. A race of loving God and loving others, of leaving the things of the world, of being like Jesus, of living the life you're created to live, and running together. Here, here's that question. On a scale of one to five, how are you doing in each of these areas each of these marked out areas of the race. How are you doing? What grade would you give yourself? What grade would God give you? Are you happy with your grade? You know, you're saying, ah, you know what? I, I, I can do better and, and, and I should do better and I, and, I, and I want to do better, right? I mean, we've got to be honest with ourselves, right? I mean, it's a race. And we want to win it. So I just encourage you, pray over that. Pray over those truths, right? Allow, allow the Holy Spirit to answer the question for you, like how you're doing. You know, I, 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 I got to tell you what, I'm, I don't have a five anywhere, <laughs> okay? I don't got a five anywhere, right? I got work to do, and there's work I'm going to do, amen? And I'm going to close by reading this passage we started with. I think. <laughs> I read it from my notes. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the race you've marked out for us. Thank you for the prize that awaits us. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us to help us to do this. And God, I pray that you help each of us to be, just be honest with ourselves, to spend some time with you this week, and allow your Holy Spirit just to work in our lives. May we not be satisfied with where we are, but may we press on to, to what is better. In Jesus' name, amen.